Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, my name is Brecker Nurse and I want to tell you about my fun horror movie podcast called Autopsy of a Horror Movie. On my show, I like to have fun dissecting out what makes a horror movie scary, what worked for it, what didn't, what types of fears does it play off of. Is it an allegory for any sort of message? I don't know, but let's find out. Also, I like to watch slashers. I'm a big slasher guy, so I'll watch a slasher and do a kill grade for it. I will cover the kills and I will tell you how I would grade it based on shock, method, style points, and a fourth category that is a reflection of the movie. Besides those, I'll have fun with special topic episodes, commentary tracks, interviews with guests, including some Shutter directors, so I just like to have a fun time over here. If any of this sounds interesting to you or you just want to come check me out, please head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere they listen to podcasts and search for Autopsy of a Horror Movie. Also be sure to find me on Instagram at Brucker Horror, where you get fun updates and some cool little posts that I do. Thanks for listening and I hope that you get to enjoy the show and I'll see you on Instagram. Bye. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi Terrors, I'm Rachel. And I'm Teresa. And this is Terra Astralis. Okay, so we're doing Derek Percy I- again. We've already recorded this. Yeah. <laughs> but um, neither of us remembered it. It was a really weird thing. <laughs> I-, I genuinely don't. Yeah. So I didn't want to use the audio from the last time we recorded it because it was really, really bad. We recorded it while sitting on an air mattress and that was... The majority of the problem. Like, that was literally all we could hear. Yeah. And then, also... The cats kept on serving us. Yeah. It just... It was... It felt off. And then I said, can we re-record it? And she didn't remember recording it. And honestly, neither do I. Like, I had to... I don't remember the case I had to check if we'd recorded it. It was like a glitch in a Matrix type thing. And, like, neither of us remembered it even being a thing that happened. So... Mic back a little bit. Sorry for the noises. Okay, we're good. Okay. Derek Percy, Australian case, and trigger warning, children. Yay! (laughs) Yep. So, violence against children and just a shithead of a human being is the trigger warning I'm going to put on this case. (laughs) So, I think, I don't think there's really much, actually, no, lies. There is. I want to talk to about um, Gabby. The girl missing because her fiancé just came back without her. Wait, what And she's this? missing. Do you not know this? No. It is the, that's why I'm confused. It is the biggest thing in true crime right now. Let me just 
I'm very oblivious to everything. So, she... Gabby... Gabrielle Petito is a 22-year-old American woman from Suffolk County, New York, who was reportedly missing on September 11th, 2021, this year. Like, literally, this is so recent. While traveling across the United States with her fiancé. So, her family lost contact with her, and he just drove back without her. Like, he just showed up without her. And everyone's like, so where is she? And he just didn't say anything. Like, he wasn't cooperating with police. There was... No way that he didn't kill her. Well, then there was a video that surfaced about, like, a fight that they'd had. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't know heaps about it, but it's, that's insane. Like, he literally just drove back without her. What? Yeah. Like, how is that not going to (laughs) be? Yeah. Literally. And now he's been reported missing. Which, no, he's not fucking missing. He's on the run. There's a difference. He's hiding. Like a pussy bitch he is. Yeah. So, it's... How did I not know this? This is, like, the biggest thing going on at the moment. I literally had no idea. Yeah. I'm so... Like, I'm so oblivious. I forgot our fucking... Like, the case you recorded with me. Yeah. So, um, I've got a document, like, a news thing in front of me. Dory! <laughs> oh, dang it, Dory's adorable! You're literally Dory. Okay, so I've got a news report here from The Guardian, and it says, Mystery surrounding the whereabouts of 22-year-old Gabrielle Gabby Petito deepened late on Friday after police in Florida said they were working with the FBI to locate 23-year-old Brian Laundry, Petito's fiancé, who was described as a person of interest. He's not a fucking person of interest! Are you kidding He's me? A, um, he literally just... I like how they worded it. Petito and Laundry had been on a van life trip because they were like living in a van. Which, like, really I fun. think I remember that fun. part. Um, trip across the southwestern US living in their vehicle. Petito's family reported her missing last week after Laundry returned to Florida alone. I'm Florida a- man! Yes! He's a fucking Florida man! There's so many reports of that. Like there's literally... News reports that say Florida man returns without like it's it's a thing, but like yeah no literally um so so where they last were was a wildlife reserve oh no in a mountainous national park in Wyoming oh no and he returned from there alone I'm gonna go over there like this and just scream at the police officers and detectives. No, no, like this because like they I mean they have to have solid proof. So they're well, like I know, but like they're looking for her but but he's not like cooperating with them at all. Like he's not telling them anything. Like you, how can you just not say anything? Like you just came back without her. How can you just not say anything about that? But then they're like searching that but it's a massive it's the like the biggest national park in Wyoming. Like they're trying to right. search her for like her body. Like, any sign of her whatsoever. But, like, what are they supposed to do if they don't have that? Because they've got to be very careful. Like, this is everywhere. Like, they've got to be very careful about how how they go at him. It's very public. Because if they get... If he gets them for, like, false, like false arrest or anything, like, that's... They're screwed. Like, they have right. to be so careful about this. Yeah. But also, he literally lawyered up before they even found out that she was missing. So that's a little bit sus. That is very sus. Look, um, lawyering up, in my opinion, isn't sus in all situations because, like, when you are being questioned by police, having a lawyer is just a smart thing to do. Like, if I was being questioned by police, I'd probably get a lawyer, even if I knew that 
I didn't do anything just because it's a smart thing to have someone represent you. Yeah. Someone who knows more about your rights than you do. You know? Like, it's, yes. it's just a smart decision for you. But when you lawyer up before anybody knows anything is going on, that's a little sus. You definitely plan this shit out. Like, that looks a little... <laughs> and now he's <laughs> missing. Let me just... Let me just... For any anybody who doesn't get that... boy on the roads. Missing. No, he's not. No. There is no way in hell that no. he is. No. My God. So, there's also body cam footage from a police um, dated on the 12th of August. Shows an officer pulling over Laundry and Petito's van after it was seen speeding and to hit a curb near the entrance to Ar- Ar- Arches National Park. And Petito was visibly <clears throat> upset. She said, we've, been fi- we've just been fighting this morning. Some personal issues. She added, some days I have really bad um, OCD and I was just cleaning and straightening up and I was apologising him, saying that I'm so mean because sometimes I have OCD and get frustrated. Okay, but when you And get- officers at the time deemed him to be the aggressor. We've talked about this before, you and me, where when you get into a relationship with someone, you get into that relationship... Knowing that there's probably something wrong with that person. Yeah. There's something wrong with everyone. So when Dylan, my partner, started dating me, he knew that I had anxiety. Mm-hmm. Really, really bad anxiety. And that I have depression. And he yeah. helps me. And yeah. he went into the relationship knowing that he would have to help me sometime. When going into a relationship, you should not just look at it as, oh my god, this person's cute. I'm going to date them. You should look at it as a whole of, can I deal with them at the worst later on and still get out of that like, worst part yeah go loving th- them go through the worst part of their lives with them not add like if she's their... having like the tiniest little ocd flare up and you get angry at like her. if she's going through the worst part of her life and you're adding to that i understand that you're frustrated but how do you know how think... she feels exactly that would make her feel so much worse because as a person with ocd it can be like no i don't have OCD, by the way. Sorry, the way I worded that. Um, OCD is very sterilised. Oh, it's like straightening these pens and fixing these things. No, it's like... Cleaning this table. No, it's like literally having to check the doorknob 17 and a half times before you leave because otherwise you feel like your world is going to implode. Yeah. Like, it's not going over a speed bump and thinking you went over a person and having to turn back and look. It's not romanticised. It over your life. Yeah, it's very romanticised. It's not... It's not that way. People with OCD know that it's taking over their life, but they can't help it. Yeah, exactly. And when you get angry at them for it, that just makes it so much worse. That does not help. No, it's not. It's not okay at all. No. No. That was a little PSA. Don't be a fucking shithead. (laughs) (laughs) The moral of the story here. (laughs) You have to do that while I'm drinking water. Yeah. At least this laugh was audible. <laughs> just love when I bully you. I'm not actually bullying you guys. It's fine. She knows I love I'm her used so to much. it. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. So is that all you have on that? I mean, yes. It's like, what, done last week? Like, this is... Yeah, literally, like... What date was last, it again? Um, September 11th. Sorry, it's, it's the 19th. Yeah, it was like a week ago. Holy shit. Yeah, literally. It was like she was missed. I think she was reported missing on You know what's September really 11th. weird? We talk about cases a lot on the podcast. 
And we go, oh, most of them are like based in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And we go, okay, yeah, that happened ages ago. There's no way it can happen now. But then we see this. I wouldn't expect people to be so blatant about it anymore, you know? Yeah. Like, shit like this happens, but usually people are a little more careful because, like, we do have really intense technology to capture yeah. criminals and social media and all of this shit. Like, you'd think Facial would be a little more smart. But no, he literally just fucking drove back without her and was like, that's cool. Like, what? 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 Like, how are you going to explain that? 1800s, you could have been like, oh, she ran away. <laughs> she was kidnapped. We'll never find her again. But you can't do that now. I don't even know. I don't, I... Like, I feel like in the 1800s, people came up with wild stories and everyone was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, no shit. There's a, there's a, like, a story. I don't, I think it's, I think her name's Claudia? No. You know what? It, okay. She's one of those. There's like so I don't know. There's like so many of these women in like the 1800s. <laughs> there's so many true crime state cases that are like exactly the same as each other. And it's like women who have like 17 husbands and all of their husbands mysteriously vanish. And oh, everyone's yeah. like, <gasps> like, I don't know what it, like, what it is about them, but like they'll just move and get a new husband and then like claim the insurance policy and move on. Like, okay, do your thing, girl. But like, <laughs> maybe don't kill people. But, like, there was... Uh, this is... Okay, shout out to Bailey Sarian, because this is in one of her videos. If you go... Um, I don't know what the woman's name is. I keep on thinking Claudia, but I don't think that that's it. But, anyway, she literally, like, killed her husband and then, like, told everyone that he was on a business trip because he was due to go on a business trip at the same time that she killed him. Which is smart. It. But then she went into the bank and went to cash his check and they were like, you can't do that. Like, he needs to sign it. And so she signed signed it from him. And they were like, this is not his writing. And she was like, yeah, you know, um, he just, he asked me to help him because he um, got into a fight with a Spanish woman and she chopped off his arm. And he's <laughs> like, and I believed it. Like... <laughs> She had to sign his checks for him, and they handed it over. Like, how does that happen? How, why a fucking Spanish like, woman? Like, can you fucking imagine? Nobody would have husbands anymore. Like, <laughs> people start walking around going, "Fucking Spanish woman." <laughs> but then, like, she told somebody else the same story, but then it changed. Like, this Spanish woman chopped off an arm and a leg, and like, people were still <laughs> believing it. Are wild. <laughs> but can you imagine if if we lived in the 1800s, we would not have husbands. <laughs> like we would have husbands, but they would not be around. No, 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 no! You're getting it all wrong. We would be fucking dead, <laughs> dude. We would be either in an asylum or burnt at the stake. I mean, yeah, but that's like if we were in one of those places where they were like having the witch panic. But can you imagine if we were just like in a cutesy little rural town and we had our little petticoats and everything oh. like that and our husbands went on a business trip what a shame and we started living together mm. just just two best friends living together yep yep oh what a time 
And then we had the gay love notes, like those historian love letters. Yes. Oh my god. Can we be historical lesbians? <laughs> That's my dream. Will you be my historical lesbian? Yes. <laughs> dream big, guys. <laughs> at least we're not, I mean, I was going to say, at least we're not idolizing, like. <laughs> what? Idolizing what? I was going to say, like, some people idolise, like, serial killers, and here I am idolising a woman in the 1800s for telling people that a Spanish woman could have her husband's up. <laughs> Bailey, sorry, and get better idols. <laughs> we haven't even started this case yet, and we're already 16 minutes in. Kitty! <laughs> sorry. That was very loud. My cat is here, and he's a sweetheart, but he just has to be- I literally have nothing time. on my lap. You could come sit on me. I'll wrap you up in my tortilla blanket. He's so cute. He is very cute. Okay. Um, that's- I've literally- <laughs> In that time, I have gone out of the case that I was supposed to do and into another document without realizing it. Oh! <laughs> How did that happen? No, that was the cat for sure. Like that oh, was when he yeah, stepped no, on the laptop. He did step on a button. You sneaky little bastard! He's like, I don't want to listen to this case. You do this one now. It's like you. You don't like it. Oh god! Really okay, lesbians. <laughs> Another quote to put in a tote bag. Historical lesbian. We're gonna have so many tote bags. I know. I love tote bags. <laughs> oh god! If you guys don't know what that is, then go back to last week's episode. <laughs> in one eyeball, let out the other. Nobody's <laughs> gonna have any fucking idea what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> oh <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Uh, Derek Percy. <laughs> okay. This is Derek Ernest Percy, he was the eldest of three sons and was born on the 15th of September in 1948 in Strathfield, New South Wales, uh, to his father Ernest and his mother Elaine. Cute. They sound like such a cute couple, like Ernest and Elaine. Yeah. Well, I don't really, I, I don't get why parents give their name to their child's middle name. Hmm. I don't get that. Like, I would hate it if, like, if I had a daughter in the future, I would hate it if my daughter had their middle name as Teresa. Like, how yeah, self-obsessed I, um, see, do you have to be? I don't like my name. Sorry, Mum. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never really liked my name, actually. I like my name, but I don't like Tess. Yeah. See, but I wouldn't want to, like, see it all the time. When I'm doing like my kids' paperwork. Yeah, exactly. Like, I and then would... you have to actually sit there and be like, "This is my daughter, something Rachel, something." I might do my middle name as my child's middle name. That's cute. Only because the kids in my family, our middle names have been passed down. Like, both, like my grandfather's name is Alan, and then my dad's and my brother's middle names are Alan. Cute. And then my grandma's name is Melva, and my middle name is Melva. Yeah. So. I get it, but I'm naming That's my kid after my nan, and and mommy or yeah. So her, I'm oh. naming um, El- um Evelyn, which is her middle name. Oh. Passing down the, but it's gonna be their first name. 
Because Evelyn's so cute. It's We've so literally, cute. I've literally said one sentence for this okay, case. Sorry, and we're already like, like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Just get into it. I'll shut up. <laughs> we're already like, oh, this is going to be we're so We're 20 long. minutes in. I'm Jesus. sorry. This was meant to be a shorter case. Oh, okay. So Elaine preferred staying home with the kids while Ernest went to work as a railway electrician. Um, he made good money doing this. However, the job required the family to move quite frequently, which kind of sucks. Like, it's, yeah. it's a little hard. Um, I'm also trying to make the last time I... Here I go again. Um, the last time we recorded this, it sounded very scripted. So I'm trying to, like, listen up. up a bit. Which I think we're doing too much. So, Percy had a troubled childhood. He wasn't, like, a... The, mm, he was kind of all over the place. He caught the attention of authorities in late 1964 at just 16 years old. Ooh. I did not have the energy at 16 years old. Other people. Yeah, I was too depressed. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, bro. Right? I was too depressed to even get out of bed at well, that time. Yeah, so uh, at 16, Percy was stealing and wearing women's underwear, as well as mutilating dolls with knives, blades, and razors. That's a trigger warning. Not a trigger warning. Red flag. Sorry. Yeah. It's <laughs> a red flag. <laughs> a little. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, my God. Am I actually okay? Okay. Um, so he's, <laughs> using, <laughs> he's using knives, blades, and razors to mutilate dolls. Can you imagine, like, having to pay for that many razors? Like, oh, right. expensive. Like, I wouldn't use them on mutilating things, but that's just me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to buy the things to mutilate. Yeah. That, that's a lot of... What, he, was he just stealing? I mean, yeah, he was stealing women's... He was stealing and wearing women's underwear. I also want to know if he was, like, stealing that from a shop or if he was, like, stealing off of people's, like, clotheslines. I just had, like, like, a little vision of him just walking up to a little kid and being like, give me that fucking doll. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's the kind of kid he was, honestly. <laughs> He's giving me that vibe. <laughs> in 1965, the family moved to Ken Coburn in New South Wales. By this point, they'd moved six times in 12 years, and Percy's behaviour was on a steady decline. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was here that he started writing down in graphic detail his violent sexual fantasies. I think... That you remember. Yeah, I remember that. So this case ends with police finding massive tea chests like, massive chests of just writings from Percy, detailing all of his, like, sick, twisted fantasies and very detailed accounts of assaults on children. Oh. So, yeah. That's that's sort of, like... Sorry! <laughs> it's always one of us. Dylan! Fuck off! <laughs> Why are you selling me shit on Marketplace? <laughs> I really want to know what is it. It's a house. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> well, damn. About to get married in this bitch. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine him proposing on the podcast? Oh, cute. That would never happen, but how cute, though. No, it wouldn't. I'll propose to you on the podcast. I'll beat him to it. Okay. In 1966, Percy lured two young girls aged five and six to a caravan on the family's property. He forced the girls to show him their genitals and the girls reported the incident to their parents. Now, when Ernest, his dad, found out about it, he dismissed it and told his son to go see the local doctor. A doctor can't fix that! Yeah, I don't know. I, um... I don't know about you, hon! 
But he needs more than a fucking doctor. I honestly think he needs euthanasia. (laughs) (laughs) That would have solved it. So quick. (laughs) Percy repeated year 11 before deciding to leave school in 1967 to join the Australian Navy. And he became a naval electrical mechanic. Oh. Which he could have... He could have done good. As you're going on, I'm slowly remembering the yeah, case. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I'm also saying the same sorts of like things. Yeah. Can't change who I am. Okay. <laughs> he was stationed at several different naval bases and seemed to enjoy military life. However, that was only a sideline to his main fantasy of brutally raping, torturing, and murdering children. Ooh. Yep. So, while he was in prison after being convicted of murdering a child yeah. Percy rented a self-storage unit in Melbourne the contents stayed undiscovered for 20 years until Victoria Police re- received a tip and opened it and this was where they found 35 boxes worth of diaries and items relating to Percy's torture fantasies 35 boxes yeah like large boxes just like when you just like you when you hear that at first, you're just like, okay, yeah, thirty five boxes of books, but like there's imagine huge writing boxes full of like these journals. Yeah, imagine write like how thin is a piece of paper, and each page is filled with sick and, and twisted. Journals things. are only so thick. Yes, like if you're buying that many, you don't want to buy. And like, these a aren't like journal. small boxes. These are like large. Yeah, large chests full of just writings. So. Senior Sergeant Detective Wayne Newman then began connecting the diary entries to some of Australia's unsolved child abduction and murders at the time. Yep. So Percy was then labelled one of the nation's worst sexual sadists of all time. Understandable. Yeah, so they went through these entries and they found all of these things that seemed to match up with crimes that were unsolved at the time. Right. And that's where they sort of connected him to them. But a lot of them, unfortunately, they didn't have solid evidence because he never named anyone in these entries. He detailed things very specifically, but there was no... Like, it was all circumstantial. There was no solid proof saying that that was He probably didn't even try knowing the names. Oh, very doubtful. Yeah. Yeah, no. So, now I'm going to go in, like, case by case to all of the things that he was connected to. And then we'll go into... The one that he was actually um, tried and convicted for. Right. So, January 11th, 1965, the Wanda Beach murders. The Percy family holidays often coincided with yachting regattas, and in January 1965, a national race was due to sail in Sydney. Had no idea what this meant, so I looked it up, and it's literally just a series of yacht or boat races. Right. It's literally just people racing their yachts. People flexing how rich they are. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't know it. No, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds fun for you. Live your life, boo. (laughs) Do you know what? I was editing the um, recording from last time and I really wish I would have like kept the little parts of it and just like edited it in because last time I said, I've been on a kayak and you went, bitch, that doesn't count. Send it to me. I'll put it on the TikTok. So Mount Beauty is where they were living at the time. And Mount Beauty, friends of the Percy's, remember they'd gone to Sydney for a summer holiday, staying with Derek's grandparents at Ride Station. 
That month, on Monday, January 11th, two ride teenagers sent off from that station for a picnic at Cronulla Beach. Marianne Schmidt and Mary Sharrock, both aged 15, were <clears> neighbours <throat> and they headed off for their day out with Marianne's four younger siblings. And again, in this time, you like literally would just send your kids out. Yeah. And this is 1965. Yeah. 60s and 70s is like when this all took place. So... You just send Again, your kids Again, as we out. said before in past episodes, that's when Stranger Danger doesn't exist. Well, yeah, like you send your kids out for a day, like you're si- like they're, they're they siblings. They go have fun, then they come back for Look dinner. after each other, guys. Come back by dark. You know, like yeah. that was it. And, like things like this, people weren't aware of, or they just denied it altogether. Like you just went, just, oh, that won't happen to my kids. That's the thing. That's what everybody says. Like this won't happen to me. Yeah. Even now, people say, like, this won't happen to me. Yep. Anyway. A witness would later recall seeing a young man resembling Percy trying to talk with the girls on the train. Ew. Feral. Disgusting. Tragic. <laughs> the look he gave them. <laughs> um, at Cronulla, the younger children stayed in a sheltered part of Wonder Beach, which was the furthest patrolled beach on the Cronulla stretch. So they're in like part of like a secluded beach area, yeah. which is really really scary. <laughs> Getting anxiety <laughs> reading this. Um, Marianne's brother Peter, uh, he was ten at the time, said later he saw Mary and his sister walking and talking with a long-haired blonde young man. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Just ew. <laughs> the man had a knife in a sheath and carried a spear. A fucking spear? A spear, man. Of all things, a a spear. spear. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time, Derek Percy was known to frequently carry a knife. Not necessarily a spear, but you do. It's still a spear? Yeah. I mean, Aussies, right? (laughs) No! (laughs) Not that I've... Okay, not that I've personally walked the beach and seen a spear wielder. (laughs) But I guess it happens. <laughs> no, no, it fucking doesn't. I know we're in Australia, but come on, we're not that bad. Weirder things have happened in Australia. <laughs> we're not Florida. That's a good point. Exactly. I feel like if Florida was a continent, it would be Australia. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold statement, but I think it's very accurate. <laughs> the back of my car. <laughs> Get a neon sign with that saying. My god, yes. <laughs> they should have that at all the airports. Like, <laughs> just a PSA. <laughs> oh, okay. Less on the spear. 
So a witness at the time, uh, Wolfgang Schmidt, who was seven at the time, also saw the young man accompany Mary and his sister into the sand dunes and came back without them. Right. Yeah. So he asked where the girls were, but the man just walked on without replying to him or giving him the time of day at all. So this man, carrying a spear, (laughs) walks in with these girls and just returns without them. Not good. The next day, Marianne and Mary's mutilated bodies were found partially buried in a sand dune. Um, uh, Trigger warning. Scratch marks on the girls' faces showed they'd fought off their attacker and the groin area of one of the girls' bathers had been cut. There's, I'm not going to go into anything more. I don't know that there was anything more listed, but you can probably gather. Marianne's brothers provided a description of the young man they'd seen and a police sketch artist drew up a portrait of a man with a long, narrow face, which, as we will go along, that is the description that everybody provides. A young man with a long, narrow face and blonde hair. Percy. <laughs> I mean, how many people are, like... I don't know a whole heap of people who are, like, a description described as having a long face I mean yeah I wouldn't know I guess but these are all and these are all different places which is interesting like these are places all around Australia they're not localised right so it's not like one police station can just pull a piece of so it's yeah so it's not like they're not connecting these things these are all individual things but there is the only reason it was connected to him is because of these like writings that he had yeah. And they just matched up with all of these unsolved cases. And also, he was at the majority of these places. Yeah. Like, the reason that he's been connected to all of these is because he was there at the time. Didn't he, like, confess to being there, but then was like, oh, yeah, I don't know what happened to them. Yeah. I, I didn't do it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, he's not stupid. He's not going to confess to something that he knows they don't have him on. Yeah, no. So... You'd be fucking stupid if you did. Yeah. The following year at Percy's new school, Koryong High, uh, High in Kankobin, fellow students who'd seen the sketch teased him about being the killer because it looked yeah. so much like him. Um, in notes found in Percy's car four years later, police found a story written by Percy which bore a, quote, striking similarity to the Wanda Beach murders. That's the thing. It's so, like, they are so similar to the cases but he doesn't have any names so they can't pin it like they can't get him for it in his belonging in the tea chest they also found a map marked at ride near the spot where the wanda beach victims caught the train and that's his connection to that case yeah january 26 1966 the beaumont children abduction which is like one of the biggest unsolved cases in australia Right. Um, the case is written in Australian crime history as one of the largest child abduction mysteries. It remains unsolved, but I'm going to tell you about the details that connect Percy to it. Please do. Um, so the three children of Jim and Nancy Beaumont, uh, Jane, who was nine at the time, Anna, who was seven at the time, and Grant, who was four at the time, caught the bus from their Summerton Park home for a short ride to Glenelg Beach. It wasn't super far. Um, so this was like here. Yeah. Um, the trip was meant to involve just a couple of hours at the beach, then home for lunch by midday. 
you know, because you'd send your kids out and be home by a certain time, you know? Yeah. Uh, a family friend saw the three kids at around 11am talking to a thin-faced man. Long, narrow face. At 11.45am, the children bought a pie and two pasties from a bakery with a $1 note, which was definitely given to them by a stranger because their parents said later they'd only been carrying coins that day. They'd only been given coins that day yeah. to go to the beach. So if they were paying with a note, that was something that somebody else had given to them. Yeah. And none of the friends and family had said anything about it. The children were never seen again. A police reconstruction of the man shows a long, clean-shaven face with light hair swept back. The Beaumont children case is still open. And there's still possible suspects being identified like today when questioned by police Derek Percy wouldn't admit to having anything to do with their abduction but he did admit to being on Glenelg Beach that Australia day in 1966 so the day that they went missing yeah yeah and that happens a lot in this case like he just so close but so far he plays with the police so much oh yeah he's oh He's so, like, manipulative, as many of them are. He's so manipulative, but... Okay. September 28th, 1966. So this is the same year. We had January, we've now got September. The Alan Redston murder. Six-year-old Alan Jed... Jed Alan Jeffrey Redston... <laughs> that's his name, not the <laughs> ...was abducted on the way to a Canberra milk bar to buy ice cream. So this is in Canberra now. Right. So this is all over the place. And he's still a teenager when he's doing uh, this? Yes, I believe so. Okay. I believe so. Because then later we... Yeah, because okay. he's, he's still well, in high it school. It would make sense. As you said earlier, they, they, they have all to the move. time. Yeah. So that was like the perfect little cover-up. Well, exactly. And at each place, he was there. Yeah. But they hadn't connected that, obviously. I was just making sure that you can still hear me while I'm sitting over oh, here. No, that's yeah. okay. And then later on, he still moved because he was part of the navy right yep i remember and this. each yeah. place that the navy was docked there happened to be a connection what do you know <laughs> just saying okay six-year-old alan jeffrey redston was abducted on the way to a canberra milk bar to buy ice cream which is so heart-wrenching so his body was found trigger warning was found bound and hogtied the next day among reeds in the yarralumna Yarralumla Creek. So that this is trigger warning. He was wrapped in a green floral house coat and several pieces of carpet, and he had a piece of rope looped around his neck. His bindings included a coarse piece of cloth with stripes similar to the colours of the Mount Beauty High School tie, the school Percy was attending at the time. Percy's classmates remember him wearing a coarse homemade version of the school tie in class. The same sort of fabric that was found. A witness also described a suspect seen in the area where Alan Redston was abducted, riding a red push bike with distinctive handlebars. Derek Percy had owned a very similar bike in Mount Beauty and took it with him on holidays. The Canberra police issued a description of a blonde, fair-skinned young man with a thin face aged between 13 and 17 years. They also released a reconstructed image at this time which closely resembled Percy. Um, Percy later told the police he'd gone on a holiday in the capital but couldn't recall the details. Okay, so I know angry. that I'm like really easy at forgetting things, but if you're going on holiday, you tend to remember things on holiday. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, like 
You don't... Just because I don't remember things in my day-to-day life doesn't mean that I'm not going to remember things if I go, like, to another state. Like, well, that's the thing. It is something new and different for you. You're far more likely to remember You're it. so much more engaged when the environment is new and thrilling. Mm-hmm. Like, so that... Bitch, you lying! Mm-hmm. A police investigation found that in the days leading up to the murder, a fair-haired teenager had been forcing boys to the ground, tying them up, and placing plastic over their heads in an attempt to asphyxiate them. There was insufficient evidence to convict Percy, but they strongly, but police strongly believe he was connected. As they fucking should. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Like, why there's wouldn't something, you? There's something about being, like, suffocated with plastic that absolutely like, terrifies panic. me. Panic. Absolute yeah. panic. Like, I know there's, like, drowning and, like, being strangled and all that, but Which, something about by the, the way, guys, this is just, like, a weird PSA, but in the event that you ever get a plastic bag over your head, whether it happens by accident, which I don't... I, uh, children be children. Yes. <laughs> um, or if you are in a situation where somebody puts a plastic bag over your head, try to bite through the bag. Because yeah, it's just not going to be... Heaps of oxygen, but it's going to keep you alive. Yeah. yeah. Just a little, you know, survival tip. Exactly, yes. Um, May 18th, 1968, the Simon Brook murder. This is so tragic. And this is a, I'm just going to put like a trigger warning for this entire portion of this. Right. And this was where I found the case because morbid covered the place where this happened and they sort of like brushed over this little like this event that happened at that place because that place was associated with a lot of like dark shit and this was one of them and then they mentioned that Derek Percy was the main suspect in this case and I was like I'm gonna research him because he did a lot of more fucked up shit so this is the Simon Brooke murder um, after several months being in the Navy, Percy was no- posted to the aircraft carrier HMAS Melbourne. Um, his ship was anchored in the Cockatoo Dry Dock at Sydney Harbour for a year-long refitting. Now, refitting is just them, like, fixing things and, you know, like, um, assessing everything, making sure it's all up to, like, code, um, like, refitting anything that needs to be, restocking it. You know, all that things. So it was docked at the Sydney Harbour for a year. That's quite long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So while here, Percy lived on the naval base at nearby Garden Island and he commuted through the suburbs of Glebe to the dock. On Saturday, May 18th, 1968, three-year-old Simon Brooke went missing from the front yard of his family home on Alexander Lane in Glebe next to Jubilee Park. His dad was right there. Like right there and he's and but his three-year-old son was just gone in like an instant that's terrifying that is the most scary thing to me like to have your child like right there in your front yard yeah and they're just snatched i'm pretty sure there's multiple cases like that oh my god it happens so quickly like people don't realize you turn your back for a second and it's it and they're gone yep like absolutely terrifying so a truck driver later said he'd seen a boy matching Simon Brooks' description holding a young man's hand near Jubilee Park. The man was well-groomed with a neat haircut 
and the police-constructed image was scarily similar to a photo of Percy. Dude. Do you know who has to have neat haircuts? People, People in the, the Navy. Navy! Yeah. yeah. And there's even more here. So, uh, trigger warning. Not long after being reported missing, the battered body of Simon Brook was found behind a building site. His mouth had been stuffed with wads of newspaper and his throat was slit. His pants had been removed and his lower body was mutilated. At the crime scene, police found two Gillette razor blades, the same brand the Navy issued to sailors at the time. Yeah, I remember this part. Later in Percy's diaries, police found a story about the abduction and killing of a three-year-old whose genitalia was severed with a razor blade. That's a little specific, don't you think? (laughs) When asked whether he killed Simon Brooke, Percy only said he, quote, could have, and that he was, quote, in the Glebe area at the time, at the railway cutting, where the body was found. End quote. So confessing without (laughs) confessing. Yeah. Oh, he drives me so insane. Like, he's... He knows that they can't convict him on that but they're so close so um simon brooks parents phyllis and donald brook were certain that Derek percy was their son's killer however when a 2005 inquest into the boy's death ended with a recommendation that percy be charged so you know they did an inquest and they were like he should be charged there's so much linking him to this the New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions, Nicholas Cowdery, declined to proceed. On what terms? Who the fuck do you think you are? Like, you, there is so much here. You don't have other suspects, and you're just gonna say to these grieving parents, no, you know what? No, we're not gonna charge anyone with your son's murder. At least look into it more a little bit. Like, yeah, like, you know, look like, into the other cases around fucking Australia. So, like, if you're not certain, maybe just, you know, work on getting some more evidence. Like, do, what are you doing? Branch out. They just said no. Like, <laughs> what? Um, after Percy's death, Simon's father stated, quote, The thing about the lapse of time in relation to grief is not that grief diminishes it, just that it comes upon one less frequently it's still there just the same the only thing that's gone away is the danger of percy to small children he also stated quote a confession would have been irrelevant to us i don't think there's anything he could have told us that we didn't know as to his motivation he might have said something about that but heaven knows what he was an awful person and the fact that he's now dead is good because we wanted to be certain this would never happen to another child end quote so spoiler alert he's dead thank fuck thank fuck (laughs) Alrighty. August 10th, 1968. The Linda Stilwell murder. Um, Percy had transferred to the troop ship HMAS Sydney, which was based in Melbourne. So he was on the HMAS Melbourne before. He's now on the HMAS Sydney, which was based in Melbourne on July 1st, 1968, but was on leave for 18 days from August 5th, five days before the abduction of Linda Stilwell. I just realized something. I was looking at my notes and I was very confused because I feel as though my source had them switched. Because for the HMAS Melbourne, it says yeah. his ship was anchored in Sydney. But it says for the HMAS Sydney, it was anchored in Melbourne. I was going to bring up 
up something about that, but then I was like, whoa. But that's what it said in the source. Like, I did double check, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know Navy things, so I'm just going to leave it out. And, like, I asked my stepdad, who's he's in the um, army, and he was like, I don't, I don't know Navy things. <laughs> so, I don't know Navy things. Whatever you can tell me. And my dad was that. in the Navy for quite a while, but I don't talk to him. No, we're so not going to ask him. We're not going to ask him. Imagine the first time you've, like, talked to him in years. It's because, like, hey, by the way, can we just get your, like, opinions? a really bad habit of so last time we got in contact with him was because we needed a signature so I could go to Japan mm. and instead of just signing the paper because I didn't email him about it mum did because it was it was a legal requirement we needed mm. it and if not we had to go to court it, a judge would sign it instead in his, oh, okay. yeah so it wasn't like too bad but like if he wouldn't sign it we had to get a judge to sign it yes he ended up signing it but not before sending this huge email going, you don't know what's going on in my life. I'm going through so much at the moment. If we were to email, like email him or talk to him about the Navy, he would be like, this is what you emailed me about. Like, there is so much going on in my life and you kids don't even know it. Bro, no, of course they don't know it. It's so dramatic. He goes on and on. He's like, the kids could reach out to me anytime. It's like, well, you never did when we were kids. So why would we now? But this why, is getting really personal. But like, <laughs> why would they want to though? Exactly. You literally. I'm sorry, but you turned out up literally left. perfectly fine without him. I mean, let's hope none of them ever hear this podcast. I don't really talk to them, so. There is. Oh my god. So, you know. So, I'm gonna go on a little tangent. You know this family member. I won't say their name or anything, but you know them. Started a new Facebook account and is stalking us kids again. The one that was buying from my Etsy? That family member. Yeah. They made a new Facebook account and they were stalking my little brother. Yeah. They do this oh, quite that's often. Scary. It's. Yeah. And mum and I just had to sit there and be like, okay, well, now we have to find a new account and block it again. Because they do it all the time. Wait, how did you know, though, that they're doing it? Because they, they tried following Jaden. Oh, they try, actually tried bold. Damn, yeah. okay. I was going to say, do I have to message you about it? Oh, uh, no. Jaden just walked up to me. He's like, oh, this family member is trying to follow me on Facebook again. And I'm like, oh my god. Can we just like reiterate, reiterate that just because somebody is your family does not mean they're your fucking family? No. Like, and no, no, no. I'm still caught up on how the hell did they find out that I have an Etsy. Because, yeah, I talk about it a little bit on my Instagram. And I post a lot about it on my TikTok. I was going to say, wouldn't it be your TikTok? But which account belongs to them? Did you have so many followers? I do. You have so many followers? <laughs> like, I've sat there and be like, there's almost 17k. I can't go through all the Subtle flex, guys. Sorry. Subtle flex. Sorry. I only have 17,000 TikTok followers. I have no idea which one is a psycho. <laughs> I've tried, like, looking My up God. their name and nothing comes up. So I don't... I don't know. That's so They, they literally stalk us. Anyway, sorry. Taking over your episode again. Family can be so scary sometimes, yeah. honestly. There's a reason why I only talk to my mum's side. I have so much family that I don't talk to. You have a pretty big family, though. 
my mum's side is the one that I talk to. My dad's side I have like nothing to do with at all. Yeah. Like aside from my dad, I don't have anything to do with any of his family. They shit talk me to my dad, so it's fine. Oh. <laughs> I was gonna say, wasn't there like something that happened like to your face or something? Oh no no no. Um he called so this person called my dad while I was in the car with my dad. So like it was going through his Bluetooth right. and he was just shit talking me and I was sitting next <laughs> to my dad and it was going through the Bluetooth in my dad's car and I was just sitting there next to my dad listening to this person talk about me. And I was like, family, eh? Yeah, dare I ask what they said? I can tell you after this. Okay. Like, I'll go into detail. Okay. But anyway, please do. Oh my oh. Let's finish this. He had some choice it, words. We're at say 50 minutes long already. Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Okay. Yeah, but um <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, so Percy had transferred to this troop ship, whichever it won, and it was based in Melbourne. Uh, so on July on the on July first, nineteen sixty eight, but it was on but it was on leave for eighteen days from August fifth, five days before the abduction of Linda Stilwell. That was so much information, and I don't think my brain processed any of it. So I hope that you did. Please <laughs> don't, honestly. Anyway, he was in the area at the time, is the important thing. The Stillwell family had migrated from England three years earlier, but by the middle of 1968, um, parents Brian and Jean had separated. Uh, So Brian took the youngest of their four children, uh, Laura, to New Zealand. Uh, Mrs. Stillwell found a job at the Albert Park Hotel and cared for the other three children, Karen, who was 11, Gary, who was 9, and Linda, who was 7. So, Linda was the second youngest. Right. And their dad had taken their youngest. Yeah. Um, on July 10th, 1968, Jean told her children to stay indoors in their flat while she went grocery shopping. Which, I, again, at this time, you could literally just leave your kids home just like, stay here. It's all good. Yep. You know? Go get something. Lock the doors. Yep. Don't open the doors to strangers. Like, you know. Yeah. My parents did that with me. Yeah. Like, they literally just said, you know, stay indoors. Don't answer the door for anybody. Yeah, mum had, like, a certain set of rules. So, if, like, a random number called us, she told us not to say that we were home alone, but that she was in the shower. Doesn't matter if she was in the shower or not. She was in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. Which is smart. Yeah. Uh, So, Karen and Gary couldn't resist going to the beach. And when Mrs. Stillwell returned at around midday, she told Linda to go out and fetch them for lunch. So she told them to stay home. They wanted to go to the beach. They're kids. They went to the beach. Yeah. So she sent Linda, um, who was seven at the time, to go and get them for lunch. Uh, Karen returned to say that Gary and Linda were fishing on the St. Kilda Pier about two k's from their home. Uh, at 4pm, Gary returned to say that Linda had gone with some boys to a local attraction known as Little Luna Park. That's kind of a cute name, though. Yes. So we've got two kids going out, and then she sends another one out to go get them, and you've got one kid coming back to say the other two were out, and then you've got one coming back, and you've got your daughter just still out. With strangers. Yes, and this is at, like, 4pm. So this and this is was afternoon. the youngest, wasn't it? The youngest that wasn't living with them. The youngest was... No, living, the, the, youngest the youngest of the three. Yes, and yeah. she was seven. Yeah. So... A baby, literally. Yeah. When she sent him out again to get Linda, he returned to say, oh, 
uh, yeah, returned to say that she'd gone with the boys to the police station to pick up some fishing rods. This is all over the place. And also this is from the 60s. So. And it's being recounted by children. Yeah, exactly. So, so he came back, said that she'd gone with some boys to a local attraction. She sent him out again. And he said that she'd gone with the boys to pick up some fishing rods. Then Jean rang the police to learn that three boys had attended the station, but there was no sign of her little girl. Two days later, a witness told police she'd seen a little girl rolling on a grassy bank near the pier. The woman said a man had been sitting with the girl on a park bench. She described him to be wearing a, quote, deep navy blue, almost black spray jacket, similar to that worn when sailing. The man was sitting with his legs crossed, looking out to sea quite intently. End quote. That's so fucking creepy. It is. And also those are the sorts of jackets, again. They wore in the Navy. Like, the Navy's got navy colour fucking uniforms. (laughs) What do you know? (laughs) The following year, the woman would open the newspaper to look at a photograph of the suspect in the Yvonne Toy murder, which is another one that he was connected to. Yeah. She would say... Quote, I got the biggest shock of my life. This was the same man that was sitting on the park bench that day that the little Stillwell girl disappeared in St. Kilda. So she opened up the newspaper to see a picture of Percy in the case that he was convicted of. Yeah. And she said, that's the same man. That is a strong fucking alibi right there. Not alibi. A link, yeah. link, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. So, more recently, after Percy was questioned in the Melbourne Magistrates Court following the discovery of his writing, she came forward again to say, quote, I'm absolutely sure that the man I saw sitting on the park bench that day, the day that Stillwell disappeared, is the same man. When Percy was asked about Linda's disappearance, he said he'd driven through St. Kilda that day. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, so admitted being there, but, you know. A coroner later found Linda Stillwell had met with foul play and alleged that Derek Percy had murdered her. I hate how he's literally like dangling a piece of candy in front of a children a child's mm. face. Like that's how he's treating the police. Yes. With this evidence. Literally. So Victorian Deputy State Coroner Ian West said, quote, it is highly unlikely that another child molester was in the vicinity when Linda disappeared. Which I don't know how you'd know that. So again, I don't think that's so yeah. solid. But, like, you've got a witness saying that that is the same man that she saw. And this man has been, like, not convicted, but has been suspected. And, like, there's In been... In another murder of a child. Yeah, in other cases where children have been taken. Like, mm. that's... Yeah. So, Linda's brother Gary said the family had, quote, been through hell since the murder, saying... Quote, the last 46 years have been a terrible thing on my mother and the rest of the family. It's now been proven that Derek Percy preyed on Linda and other innocent children. Alrighty. So, April 1st, 1969. An attempted abduction. In 1969, Percy was stationed on the HMAS Cerberus, the Royal Australian Navy's primary training establishment on Western Port Bay, which is 90 kilometres southeast of Melbourne. On April 1st, he attempted to abduct a 12-year-old girl on a bike near the Cerberus base, but she thankfully got away from him. Yep. So she was not identified anywhere. Like, her name is not anywhere. I'm not going to try and find it, because I don't need to know. Yeah. Neither do you guys. 
Um, then in connection to a murder four months later, again, the Yvonne Toy murder, the girl identified Percy as her attacker just months prior. So she also, like, saw him being a suspect in this case. She said, that's the, yeah. that's the man who tried to take me. Which, so thankful that she went away. Hell yeah. We are going to talk about the Yvonne Toy murder now. Uh, Shane Spiller, age 11, was on holiday in Warneet, a tiny town on the coast of Western Port Bay, in July 1969. He and his friend, Yvonne Toy, who was 12 at the time, were walking down a dirt track on their way to Ski Beach to make a fire from driftwood and have a picnic, which is so wholesome. <laughs> so wholesome. Very. If I was living on a beach as a 12-year-old, I would do that too. Oh, yeah. Um, suddenly a man came over and grabbed Yvonne, holding a blade to her neck. Um, when he tried to order Shane to come with them, Shane pulled the tomahawk from his belt that he'd brought to cut the driftwood. Percy said to him, quote, put that down or else I'll hurt the girl. Um, so I'm going to go like a trigger warning from now on, I guess. Um, Yvonne started crying and screaming to her friend, quote, Shane, help, help. He's going to cut my throat. Which that is so traumatizing. I can't. Even... That is. Yeah, I can't. Mortifying. It is. Shane then ran through scrub to the road and saw Percy's car drive past with Yvonne under a blanket. When he was interviewed by police, Shane identified the make and colour of Percy's car an orange station wagon with a sticker on the rear window. The sticker, which Shane drew for police, had a Royal Navy emblem. Oh my god. Police went to the Cerberus Navy base and found Percy washing blood off his clothes. Oh my... Literally. Caught red-handed. Yeah. Quite literally. Percy denied all knowledge of the murder. You but motherfucker. But admitted he had been on Ski Beach. Oh my god. I can't... I'm not laughing, but like, what the fuck? Sir, you are washing blood off your clothes with your car outside. Your broad ass orange fucking car. And you like, yeah, I was there, but I don't know nothing about that. Let me just, let me just get under the nails right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely not. Eventually, he took police to Fisheries Road in Devon Meadows, which was eight kilometers from where he'd abducted Yvonne. Her body was found under some bushes there. She had her wrists tied behind her back and her mouth stuffed with a balled up cloth. Uh, Trigger warning, Percy had strangled her, then mutilated her body with long, deep cuts. Shane Spiller identified Percy in a lineup and newspapers featured photos of him holding his tomahawk. He was labelled a hero, but later said he never felt like one. That's so traumatising for a child. Um... In 1970, Percy was convicted of Yvonne Toy's murder, but found not guilty by reason of insanity. Later, psychiatrists would find Percy was not mentally ill at all. Good. He was diagnosed with a personality disorder, but he was but it was stated that there was no possibility for rehabilitation. He is not insane at all. And he was labelled as a danger to society. So he remained in hospital. He remained in custody. It wasn't even the right syllable. <laughs> in custody up until his hospitalization in 2013 where he died from lung cancer 
a long, I hope painful it was death. very painful. Yes. But he, so he was convicted and then found not guilty by reason of insanity, but they did keep him in like a, a I guess like a state hospital yeah. sort of thing. Confinement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was later found not mentally ill. So, and he was labeled as a danger to society, to society, which he fucking was. Yeah. So, um, he died from lung cancer. I hope it was fucking painful. I hope it kept him up at night. I hope he still feels pain. Good. Shane Spiller, unfortunately, by age 14, had begun drinking and drifting away from school and his family. He developed serious drug and alcohol addictions and was never properly treated for his severe case of PTSD. Which you just... You fucked up another person's life. I feel so sorry... For these people who go through this, but at the time there weren't the resources to help them. Yeah. Like, because PTSD, that is it's not... It's no joke. That is no joke. Um, he believed Derek Percy would come after him and kill him. He later moved to the New South Wales south coast town of Windham, where he slept with a baseball bat and cut a trapdoor into his living room floor to hide if he needed to. Aww. He'd ask friends to write down the registration numbers of cars in his street... And on September 9th, 2002, he was seen walking to the local store to collect his mail. He has not been seen alive since, nor have his remains ever been found. Shane's neighbour, Andy Morris, said, quote, In a sense, Shane was a Derek Percy murder victim as well. To me, he was a very brave man. Oh, I got fucking chills all over. Dude. So he fucked up another kid's life. Like, he never recovered from that. No. And that girl that was I would trying never, to abduct. Like, personally, I would never be able to recover from something like that. No, and the young girl that he tried to abduct, who she was just 12 years old. That would be scarring too. Yeah, like, and Shane was 11 at the time. Like, it, they're babies. They really are. And the Simon Brooke, he was three. Oh, fuck. Three. And these are just... Let me, like, reiterate this. These are just the cases that police looked at and immediately went, oh, that strikes resemblance to this case. Yeah. But they're... Again, 35 huge chests worth of Yeah, this is not... Clearly, this is not everything. No. No way in hell it is. And if he has writings, like if he has journals about these things, all of the rest of them in there are likely... Fairly accurate too. Yeah. Which is so scary. Because that just... Like, why would he sit there and make one up? Because when he could go out there and... And he had the resources. Like, he was always moving. He could just literally, you know, do it and leave. Like, it just... It's so... It's... He would never be in one place long enough for anyone to, like, truly know him. Well, yeah, exactly. And that was the thing. The only reason he got court for this last one is because he left a witness yeah who was right there like there was other witnesses but they didn't see what happened whereas he 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 had left this witness alive who saw all of the nitty-gritty details like the sticker on the car like he saw the number plate he saw him hold a blade up to this girl's neck yeah and like he he got all of those descriptions and then that's how they found him. Like, because he went and told police so quickly. Yeah. 
but clearly like he didn't do that with any of the others and there's for sure more cases and so many more things that he's done that people had no idea about (sighs) I would not be surprised about the number of cases about because let's be honest especially back then Aboriginal children and Aboriginal families were not looked the same as white children. So I'm guessing most, if not all, of these cases are white children. I can only imagine how many of his victims weren't white mm. and police just overlooked it. Yeah. Because there is, like, still to this day, there is a huge gap between white people and the Aboriginal. Mm. And how they are treated. Yeah. So I can only imagine how bad it must have been back then in the 60s. I don't even want to think about it, honestly. This was a bummer of a case. Yeah. Um, What are we covering next week? Let me get my magical list. I'm pretty sure doing my case, Peewee. (laughs) Peewee? Peewee. Gaskins. So excited. Little spoiler, guys. I only picked this case because of the name, and I thought it was funny. Now, I've watched all of Bailey Sarian's videos, and she has covered him, but I do not remember a single thing from it, so we're good. It's not the most, like, gory or in-depth, I could, I guess you could say, but mm. it's certainly interesting at times. Cool. That's kind of what we need after this. Yeah. Honestly. It's not as intense, but it's still, you know, like, murder case. Yeah. And then we've got a case after that that I've got ready, which is so, like, it's horrific, but it's also, uh, you guys, I can't wait to tell you, because we've got, like, a fun element to it that will, um... Oh, right, yes, okay. Yeah. 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 Alrighty. I think we should sign this video, video, this (laughs) audio off, because we are already on an hour. Yeah, so. we ramble. We really do. Yeah, we've gotten very comfortable in front of the mic, which so is good. I think very good. I think we're just like having basically a conversation. The whole entire point of this podcast was to be like your online true crime best friends. Quite honestly, there's going to be a lot of this cut out anyway, with like the coughing and stuff. Yeah. So I'll probably get this down to like an hour anyway. We'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that. Thank you. It's going to take me so long. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I've developed a system. I've been getting actually great at Spider Solitaire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I play Spider Solitaire in like another little window while editing this. <laughs> so um, when you guys have listened to this, I probably upped my level on Spider Solitaire. So go me. <laughs> Quite proud of myself. Pat on the back. Anyway. <laughs> She's dead. The way you say this shit. <laughs> Fucking... Oh, I'm too proud of myself for something. <sighs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> okay. Um. Thank you for listening, guys, and we hope you like this case. I found it very interesting. And like, while you were telling it, I was slowly remembering what you were like. Yeah. Last time we were recording and what the case was about, but it was still interesting to listen to again. I think it was a lot more casual this time, which I think I needed it to be. Let me just say, though, I definitely need some coffee before the next case because I feel like I'm about to fall asleep. Yeah, me too. Okay, awesome. Coffee. Uh, Thank you for listening to us. We hope you enjoyed the case. Yeah. Just repeating myself now. Follow us at Terra Stralis Podcast on TikTok and Instagram. And you can find all of our other socials and all of our other uploading platforms 
on or in the link trees in those bios so you can find yeah. our twitter you can find our gmail all of that yeah. if you guys have any terror tales then definitely email them to us at terrastralispodcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. um, if you guys aren't aware last week's episode was a terror tales uh, episode and we actually did a video recording of it as well yes so if you we're want to go starting check, a youtube yes if you so. want to go see that video um go check it out on youtube i believe it's just terror stars or terror stars podcast it would be something along those lines yeah, yeah. we can we'll be linking it in the link tree anyway so yes you'll be able to find that the video recordings won't be in every episode thing because i'm recording on my phone my phone only has so much space on it and I'm having a bit of difficulty getting the video from the phone onto my laptop and all that. So we're hoping to do a few more of them, but there won't be a weekly thing. Yeah. So do tell us if you like them, because if you do like them, if you want more, we will look into getting like an actual camera system for it, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, if it. we get enough like demand for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd love to keep up with it. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I, this like, facial I was, like, kind of looking, great. Yeah, I was looking through it earlier, and it looks really good, like, with the little setup we got going on here. It looks really good. I tried I like very it. hard with this plant. <laughs> <laughs> you guys will know if you go and watch the YouTube video, but there's a plant next to me, and I brought it in from outside. I washed it she down. She closed that bitch down. We put it on a stool. It is stabbing me. Yeah, that thing is sharp. But she do look cute, though. She does she actually smells pretty cute. nice as well. I can't smell it. <laughs> oh, I hope the mic picked up your little sniffs. I really do. Anyway, um, yeah, we will catch you on the flip side. Bye, Terrors. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.